happy hangover. Ricky, as you can probably tell by the cold open, the only constant on this podcast is change. Yeah. Um, I think all three of us have officially missed time on the pod in the last, what, two months? Or yeah, even the think, last month. I was going to say, I think it's probably three out of the last four episodes where one of us has been missing. <laughs> so anyway, all, all that to say, no Andrew Alex. So it's just yeah. Ricky and I recapping the disaster in winston-salem because that's andrew what it andrew was. is fine unlike virginia tech twitter which is not fine it's a tire fire yeah maybe we can get into that a little bit here in a few I, I i i would like to because it goes back to what we've talked about before about just the inability to call balls and strikes with this program you 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 flat out cannot do it right on facebook or twitter or on a or on a website and not just be ridiculed by half the fan base. Yeah, I mean, there's no nuance. You know, apparently everything has to be black and white. But I digress. You know what else? What else is black and white? Our ad reads. So we're gonna go with a nice little transition and talk <laughs> that about. That was Street. a beautiful segue. Andrew would be proud of you. Right into our Main Street Pharmacy read. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the official sponsor of the Hokey Hangover podcast. Go hang out with Dr. Jeremy Counts at Main Street Pharmacy. Um, 301 South Main Street in downtown Blacksburg. Uh, they treat you like a neighbor, not a number. A locally owned pharmacy dedicated to the well-being of you and your family. So go check out the Main Street Pharmacy. We can't speak highly enough about Jeremy and his team. Um, and if you want to make a call ahead of time, 540-605-7721 or go visit msblacksburg.com. Ricky, Wake Forest, unfortunately, beats Virginia Tech in Winston-Salem, 23-16, to 16, an upset of seismic proportions, I would say, compared to what we thought going into this game. But like you and Andrew previewed so well on the podcast that we last recorded last week, this is one of those games where if Virginia Tech didn't come to play, it was going to be a three-hour stomachache, and that's exactly what it was for Virginia Tech. Something I have realized, I don't know why it took me this long, but something I've realized that this just this week is that literally any team can lose to anybody in the ACC. There yep. is almost zero hierarchy to this conference. It's Clemson. And then maybe Notre Dame, and this year maybe Miami, and then that's it. Yep. There, there is, there is nothing else. I mean, North Carolina just got done losing to a bad Florida State team. That literally, Florida State just got blown out this week by Louisville. Right. Um. It, it, it's the the ACC is a mess. The ACC is an abject mess, and. This is actually something that um, I read on TSL, and I want to give them credit. Chris Coleman wrote about this specifically after the Wake Forest game. There is not a sizable talent gap between the teams that are considered better program, like better, you know, somewhat better programs in the ACC and the others. Right. So take Virginia Tech, for example. Virginia Tech does not have a sizable enough talent gap where they can go out there and turn the ball over three times and drive the ball into opposing territory four times and not score on each of those four possessions and still win the football game. Um, they, they, they can't do what Clemson did, right, which is sleepwalk against Syracuse for most of that game 
and then win absolutely going away. Right. And then laugh off questions about a bad game in Davos post-game press conference. Right. Like Virginia Tech can't do that. And that's exactly what happened in this game. Virginia Tech did not show up. Uh, Virginia Tech played an awful first half defensively. And then all of a sudden played a decent defense in the second half. And it meant absolutely nothing because the offense played pretty bad. Hendon Hooker put together his worst game of his career. The running game kind of stalled out, even though I thought Khalil Herbert was still relatively good in this game. Yep. Um, the passing game was just atrocious. It, it, it was it was probably the worst I've seen the passing game since late 2017 when Josh Jackson was playing with basically half a healthy body and could barely throw the football anymore. I mean, Virginia Tech's passing game was so bad in this game that the Tech offense was neutered by a defense that isn't good. Wake Forest defense is not good. We can we can agree to that, I think. Just yeah. get, given on what they've done throughout this year, and they looked like a top 30 unit against the Hokies. Yeah, I think that's what stood out to me, Ricky, and we'll, we'll get into all the different details about this. I think that was a pretty good overview. The The one thing that stood out to me was the way that Wake Forest defensively won this game in the trenches. That is something yeah. that really stood out to me and surprised me a lot. The fact that Wake Forest front seven was able to wreak the havoc that they did against Virginia Tech's offensive line. Now, don't get me wrong, Virginia Tech's offensive line, they can only be so bad because of how good they've been, right? But with that being said, this was their worst game of the season. They had trouble in the running game at times. There, there was just no consistency to the offense, and a lot of that started up front. I thought Wake Forest front gave Virginia Tech's interior offensive line a lot of problems in this football game. Um, the guards and the center in particular did not play very well. I thought Virginia Tech's tackles were okay in this game. But anything, any sort of inside running game, it was clear that Virginia Tech stopped going away from that in the second half because they weren't totally comfortable with the looks that they were getting. And the, the one thing that concerns me is that Wake Forest front, this is not the most talented front that Virginia Tech has even seen thus far this year, but for whatever reason, the Hokies really struggled to block Wake Forest defensive line, which was a huge surprise to me. Yeah, and I guess we can start right here. Well, maybe not start, but talk about how Virginia Tech has put up at least one clunker every single season under Justin Fuente. As a matter of fact, they've had six losses now, and this is a stat that I first saw from Dave Scarangella, who's been on the pod as a friend of the podcast and a big friend of mine. Uh, Virginia Tech has now lost six, game, six games to unranked opponents while being ranked coming yep. into the game. About one a year, over one yeah, a year at this point. Yeah, it, yeah and – it's not good. No. <laughs> it, it, it's really not good. It, it looked a lot like the Syracuse game in 2016 where Virginia Tech was playing an, in, an inferior opponent and almost had like – this game felt like Virginia Tech was trailing by 14. Which Just is because odd. It is. Just because of why the offense was struggling so much. Um, and – it's hard it's hard to explain I I don't know why this is becoming a theme under Justin Fuente that they 
come out here with a lot of hype, a lot of national press, Khalil Herbert's actually being considered for um, Heisman stuff by Pro Football Focus. And then they go out to Wake Forest and they put up a, a dud. It was very weird, too, because if you just kind of fell out of the sky and didn't watch this game and you take a look at the box score, Virginia Tech outgains Wake Forest 433 to 316. On a yards per play basis, Virginia Tech held the advantages, advantage as well. Virginia Tech 28 first downs to Wake Forest 17. Um, Virginia Tech outrushed Wake Forest, which I guess isn't a huge surprise, but it was only by four yards. That was the bigger surprise there. Um, Virginia Tech outgains Wake Forest in the passing game, 223 to 110, and the passing game for Virginia Tech was awful in this football game. So tell them, tell them why they lost, Mikey. I'll tell you why they lost. Ten penalties for 112 <laughs> yards and three turnovers. Really, I'll, I'll say it was two turnovers. The third was kind of desperation mode. You know, you're going for chunk plays at the end. So it was two real turnovers, but they were real crucial in this game. Rick, we can talk about before halftime, Wake Forest and I'll give credit to Virginia Tech's defense because I think for the second week in a row, we saw them play better as the game went on. There, there are incremental steps being made by Virginia Tech's defense. You can feel it. It's tangible. It's the second straight week we've seen it in the second half. They have to start games better, no doubt about it. But we're starting to see the Virginia Tech defense as they get healthier, get a little bit more continuity. I thought Rayshard Ashby had a better game. Um, now it, he still wasn't great, but he played better than he has in several other games this year. We didn't see a lot of Dax Hollyfield in this game, um, but I thought Virginia Tech's defense as a whole played better. That's not to say that it was great at all portions of this game. The one drive, of course, that stands out is the 17 play 75 yard drive that took up over seven minutes. Uh, most of the second quarter, um, Wake Forest converts three different fourth downs on that drive scores a touchdown there um, and, and puts Virginia Tech in a very tough position uh, going into halftime. What the Hokies do, though, is drive right down the field. Look like they're at least going to get a field goal, but Hendon Hooker throws it um, a little bit behind the intended receiver, gets tipped up and intercepted, and Virginia Tech was, comes away with no points before halftime. That was the first turnover of the game, and I thought that was especially crucial because Virginia Tech needed to come away with points there before the half. Yeah, and something that was interesting – in Justin Fuente's Zoom call today was in, correct me if I'm wrong, because you were on the call, but Fuente said that Hendon made the right read he did. On, that, on that play. He did. Yep. I don't see how that's the right read, given that the safety was right over top. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know what they're coaching Hendon to do there, but that, to me, that felt like, the only correct read was to throw the ball through the goalposts and into the sixth row of the stands. Because yeah, all, all that told me was that that was the best option and he was well covered. Yes. Um, and this goes into another conversation is that the there were way too many times in this game where Virginia Tech's receivers were absolutely put on lockdown. I mean, they were put in a box, shipped up with bubble wrap, signed, sealed, and delivered. Yeah, I which mean, is concerning because Wake Forest yeah. doesn't exactly have a, a defense full of studs and, that in the secondary. They're going to go pro or something like that. This is a this is a tough look for G Virginia Tech's wide receiver core. They've this has happened for most of the season, right? Guys are not generating separation, and quite honestly, I don't think that the the passing game is complex enough to scheme guys open because in this is something that's been talked about a plenty at this point that 
Virginia Tech's route tree is incredibly redundant. It is, it is based off of maybe three or four routes where you have the slant, the go, the screen, and maybe like a deep cross, and that's it. Yep. There's there's nothing else. Remember 2017 when Cam Phillips was the clear number one on this team? Yep. How many times did we see Josh Jackson throw that deep comeback or deep curl to the sideline or deep out right. to Cam Phillips for like 13 yards? Yep. We saw that a ton. I mean, yeah. we saw it almost once a drive, and that route simply does not exist in the playbook. I don't know why, but I haven't seen that throw all year. And we finally did see the pop pass, which is something that I've been advocating for now yep, for a couple of years to come yep. back to the offense because that worked really well in 2016 with Gerard Evans. Um, but th- this passing game seems extremely vanilla. The Hokies do not have the receivers on the outside nor in the slot to gain separation in a vanilla passing game. Agree. I think that's something that Virginia Tech needs to improve upon immediately because Trey Turner isn't healthy right now. That's clear. He's hobbled. Yeah, because he hurt himself again on on a play where Hendon Hooker actually maybe was best throw of the day. Yep. On a, a ball that he fit over and underneath defender into Trey Turner's hands, who would then had a defender on top of him. So he's fitting into a tighter window. And he, it's a very catchable ball, tight spiral. Turner goes up there, makes the catch. It looked beautiful. And then all of a sudden, Trey Turner comes up lame. Yeah. So, and, and this is what the third game of the season that he's come up lame at some point. Yeah. And it sounds like he didn't practice a ton in fall camp either. Um, it seems like it's some sort of foot injury, and he's been battling through it, but he's clearly not the same receiver uh, that we've all come to know. Trey yeah, Turner. Yeah. And be. as as reliable as Caleb Smith's hands are, generally speaking. Right. Caleb is not a an athlete that's going to beat up ACC cornerbacks. Correct. I mean, he's not fast enough, right? And yeah. he's got an ability, and he's improved upon this. Um, he's improved as a route runner, which is good because that's – and he needs to continue to do that because he's not fast enough to beat ACC corners time and time again. So he's another guy that you're really going to have to scheme open. And another guy who's a bit more athletic than Caleb Smith is Tavion Robinson. The issue with Tavion Robinson is that he's playing outside a lot this year. Coaching staff is having him play more on the outside than in the slot. The issue with that is that Tavion Robinson, for the first time in his football career, is learning how to get off of press coverage when he's, yeah, when he's he man up on the outside. Yeah, because he played quarterback in high school here at Cox. Right. So he's never, he, he's never been in a position where he's had to play outside receiver and get off press man. And that's a new concept to him. We have to be patient with Tavion Robinson, his ability to get off of press coverage because it's a totally new thing. I mean, playing outside receiver versus the slot, it's like the two totally different positions. It just really is. It's hard. They are. They are. And it's hard. And and that's why you're seeing more and more programs are recruiting guys to play almost exclusively one or the other. Right. It's it's very rare that you you might have one or two receivers max in your program nowadays that are comfortable playing both in the slot and outside. And with, um, and, and with the injuries that Virginia Tech has had and the defections they've had in the receiving core, you know, you don't have Damon Hazleton anymore. He moves on to Missouri. That's proving to be a pretty big loss because Jaden Payu gets hurt. He was a guy who was supposed to, re- who, who was supposed to replace um, the size of Damon Hazleton outside. You don't have him because he hurt his foot in the preseason. 
So Tavion Robinson, almost out of necessity, is now playing outside because the other kind of candidates who you'd throw in there to potentially play on the outside are Chango Hodge and Evan Fares. The problem with the two of them is that they had a shortened fall camp. They transfer in here late, and you're not in a situation where you're comfortable enough to put them out there because, A, the playbook, B, they're just not ready and they don't have the chemistry with the quarterback. And Justin Fuente keeps alluding to the fact that as the year goes on, He's expecting him to take on a bigger role, which makes sense. But not having a full fall camp, I think, is really hurting Virginia Tech offensively and and defensively to a degree, although they're getting much healthier now. But you see the you see what's kind of happening to the passing game, right? You don't have time to integrate the new guys into the system. And then you have guys get hurt. You have Damon Hazelton leave. And all of a sudden you have a hobbled Trey Turner, Caleb Smith, who can't get open consistently enough and Tavion Robinson playing a brand new position. And that's your receiving core outside of James Mitchell, of course, who's been the most reliable pass catcher in uh, the passing game for Virginia Tech thus far. All of the things that are working against Virginia Tech when it comes to their passing game reared their head in, in, in this particular game. Poor timing. Trey Turner injured, um, lack of experience and depth on the outside, an offensive line who is much better in run in the in run blocking than they are in pass pro. Yep. They, they were dominated for the most part in, in pass pro and Hendon Hooker played the worst game of his career, both physically with his throws and mentally with his decision-making and his vision. Yep. Um, some of the throws that he made in this game, he had no business making. The second interception is one that Justin Fuente said oh. in the press conference today, that one in the third quarter, Cardinal sin missing high over the middle of the field. And, and Justin Fuente and, said right away, Hey, that's the wrong read. And he'd tell you that right now. Well, you know what? I went back and watched that. And it seems like if that throw is made earlier, there is a window for it mm-hmm. because the safety hadn't got there in time, but hooker waited until, um, I believe it was James Mitchell. Am I correct on it was that? Mid- yeah. James Mitchell. Yep. He waited until Mitchell had already gotten into the hole and by that point, the window is going to be closed by the time the ball gets there. Right. So Hendon had a lack of anticipation in this game. His throws were errant. He was dealing with an injury to his most dynamic receiving threat in Trey Turner. His offensive line broke down in pass protection. And in the running game, they didn't run the ball as well as they have been in order to take pressure off of the passing game. So it was really a confluence of events that that resulted in one of the worst passing performances for the Hokies under Justin Fuente. And I want to circle back on something you were talking about earlier, Ricky, when you mentioned, you know, Chris Coleman's article on Tech Sideline, go check it out if you haven't yet, um, where he kind of talks about how Virginia Tech and several other teams in the ACC aren't good enough, and there's not enough separation between these teams to make the number of mistakes that the Hokies made on Saturday against Wake Forest and still find a way to outright win the football game like we saw with a team like Clemson against Syracuse, right? And Virginia Tech did everything in their power to lose this football game. Like I mentioned, most of the stats go Virginia Tech's way when you look at it on paper, if you're just looking at the box score, except for the penalties, which we'll get into, which was just a nightmare and very uncharacteristic, might I add, of Virginia Tech. And then the turnovers to Wake Forest credit, Wake Forest played a turnover free game. 
they really only made one crucial mistake, and that was leaving James Mitchell open on that long touchdown pass uh, that Hendon Hooker yeah. threw. Um, but outside of that, I thought Wake Forest defensively played very well in this game. I think offensively, they weren't flashy, but they did enough in this game to score some points and take advantage of some of these Virginia Tech turnovers. And it, it goes to show you that you don't have to play a perfect game all the time in the ACC to win. But when teams shoot themselves in the foot, there aren't a lot of teams, except really maybe any teams, who can really do enough to overcome it outside of Clemson and maybe Notre Dame, but I'm even hesitant to put Notre Dame in that category. So Virginia yeah, Tech certainly only beat Louisville 12 to seven. Right. Right. And, and that was obviously a, a tough game that they played. They didn't play very well, but then rebounded nicely against Pitt this weekend. Um, Pitt's a nice uh, get back game for a lot of teams. So hopefully that turns out to be the case for Virginia Tech, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's just one of those scenarios. I thought as this game kind of continued to play out on Saturday where Virginia Tech for as many mistakes as they made, they were never really totally out of the game, but at the same time, mentally, just watching it, it always felt like Tech was down a couple scores. I think you're 100% on with that assessment. Yeah, and the the undisciplined football was really highlighted by Jared Hewitt's 30-yard penalty experience. <laughs> That's one way to the, put it. In the third quarter where, look, I know that there's a lot of – leeway and how the targeting rule is read and interpreted to me that was clear targeting um i don't i don't see how you could look at it any otherwise but i'm going to freely admit that there is a lot of um a lot of angst about the targeting rule nonetheless when your captain gets tossed from the game you don't expect him to then throw a tantrum and then get himself actually put thrown into the locker room because apparently there's a rule change this year where if you are ejected from the game for targeting, you are allowed to stay on the bench, but you are not allowed to play. It depends. Some situations you're ejected, others you're disqualified. It depends on the nature of the targeting. Ah, okay. So he was not originally told to go to the locker room is my correct. understanding. That's correct. And after he, th apparently he threw his helmet that this all happened off camera, uh, during the broadcast but he threw his helmet and then by the time the camera looked at him jared hewitt looked like he was absolutely enraged i mean I've, I've never seen a tech football player that upset and he was penalized another 15 yards so 30 yards were the penalties all because your captain can't keep his composure and and play disciplined football and that was really in my, in, if you were to take a play of this game and box it up and try to describe what happened in this game from one play, that would be the play that I would pick. Yeah. Um, Wake Forest goes from their own 40 to the Virginia Tech 35 <laughs> on that play. Um, Absolutely brutal. Hewitt goes from disqualified, which just, which basically just means he can stay on the sideline to ejected, which is never good. And Look, I, I'm not surprised. Jared Hewitt's a very emotional player. It's not a surprise to me that he had an outburst, but the fact that it happened at that time and it's 30 yards worth of penalties, you can't have that um, with your captain. It's inexcusable. Justin Fuente said as much, obviously, in the press conference after the game. It was, it was pretty funny, actually, as a, as a reporter, because you sit there and you listen to Justin Fuente's post-game uh, post comments after a loss and... Um, 
I think it was Aaron McFarling from the Roanoke Times asked Justin Fuente, you know, hey, look, this is really uncharacteristic for your team to be penalized this much, which it is. I mean, Virginia Tech is one of the least penalized teams in the ACC um, going into this game against Wake Forest. That's been something that we haven't had to talk about a lot on this podcast, Ricky, is, is how many penalties Virginia Tech commits, which is great. I mean, that's, that's a good thing. Uh, but in this particular game, Virginia Tech obviously commits over 100 yards in penalties, which you can't have. And Aaron McFarling asked Justin Fuente, is this something you just kind of write off because it's very uncharacteristic of your team? And Justin Fuente goes, Aaron, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. Our ass is going to address it. He said, <laughs> our ass is going to address it. We're not going to play football that way, uh, which is, is pretty telling that, you know, Fuente was obviously very frustrated with how Virginia Tech lost their composure. It was very surprising. The first half didn't go as a lot of Tech fans expected it to. Um, and I think because of that, it put the Hokies in the spot where a lot of their players and a lot of leaders on the team got overly frustrated. And these players were going into this game expecting to win. And Ricky, that's the biggest issue here in totality with this football game. They went in, they rolled the helmets out, they expected to win. They played their worst game of the year. It was a perfect storm on offense where nothing went right. And they lost the game to a Wake Forest team that scores enough points ordinarily to beat you. This was a fine performance by the Virginia Tech defense. Played very well in the second half. Had the one really bad drive in the second quarter. Outside of that, I thought the Virginia Tech defense played very well in the second half. Gave the offense plenty of opportunities to go down and score. Tech just wasn't able to do it. It was an undisciplined, uncharacteristic performance for the Hokies in 2020. I was not expecting them to play this poorly with the way they've looked all year and how resilient they've been and how they've come back from all these COVID, uh, COVID issues they've had and, and the secondary on defense and key offensive guys being out and the way the Tech fell down twice against North Carolina only to claw their way back and never give up in that game. To have this kind of lifeless performance against a Wake Forest team that Tech is certainly better than and outgains and all the stats point in that direction and to have this kind of performance is surprising for what this team has been this season. A couple of things. Number one, um, as the ever enlightening David Teal tweeted, um, the 112 penalty yards in this game was the most under Justin Fuente and Blacksburg. You want to guess what the second highest total was? What would that be, Ricky? That would be 2018 against ODU, <laughs> where they had 98 penalty yards. And guess oh. what happened in that game? Also went poorly. <laughs> yes. So um, this goes back to show that, number one, Virginia Tech just does not have the talent in the program to overcome shooting themselves in the foot repeatedly. Right. Um, and th maybe that's the reason why Justin Fuente's teams are usually un are not penalized as often, because that, that part of the game is – stress to them specifically uh, the other thing that I have and this goes back to this this lifeless performance and I think that's a good way to put it this is a trend this is this is not a one-off no this is something that we're seeing every single season and in your fifth year at the helm you would hope that you wouldn't have this problem now I I, I understand I, I wrote about this specifically before the season started how do we properly evaluate this season given everything that's going on? And I am willing to uh, give some leniency on this, but 
it, when you're in your fifth year of the program and every other pro, every other team that you're facing is dealing with the same obstacles this right. year in terms of practicing differently, not having guys available for practice, not being able to do your meetings the same, your your team meals the same, whatever. Um, to to come out and lose yet another to lose to another unranked team who, by the way, it's not like they're a good unranked team. I and mean, Wake Forest has not looked all that great prior to this game. To lose to another unranked team while you are ranked, it's just it, it's a bad sign. And I, I don't I don't really know where to go from there because I'm not going to sit here and join the group talking about how Justin Fuente needs to be fired today because that, that's ridiculous. Right. Um, and I'm also not on the, the people that think Hedden Hooker needs to be benched because Jesus. <laughs> I'll have what they're having. <laughs> the, I, and I, I don't want to be a victim of recency bias. And I, I talked about this specifically on Twitter, but when it comes to Virginia Tech laying an egg, this that's not recency bias. That's something that goes back to year one under Justin Fuente um, when the roster was almost entirely different. So yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to, and it goes back to, to Beamer too. But the difference Rick is that Beamer got the benefit of the doubt from the fan base because he had several seasons where he won 10 games. Justin Fuente doesn't have that luxury because of the seasons that he's had more recently that makes you question the direction of the program and, you know, where this team goes from here. There's been issues on the recruiting trail. Tech wins six games a few years ago for their worst year since 92. Like, look, Beamer got the benefit of the doubt for some of the wild losses that they had. I mean, think about the 2014 season where Tech loses to East Carolina the week after upsetting Ohio State in the horseshoe. That's one of the worst losses that Tech has had, um, just considering the opponent. It's also, the the six to three double overtime loss against Wake. Wake, <laughs> right? Like a lot of a lot of bad losses have taken place the last decade or two, and Virginia Tech had the benefit, you know, Frank Beamer got the benefit of the doubt from Virginia Tech fans because of what he had done in the past. Justin Fuente doesn't have the benefit of the doubt. He won 19 games his first two seasons. And since then it's been a wild roller coaster ride. So yeah, look, I, I think that I think that Justin Fuente and and his staff can figure this out. I think the issue that I have with this, Ricky, is that Wake Forest their strength was on offense, right? They scored 40 points. I get one of the games was Campbell. I get that. But they scored 40 points in three out of the first four games this year, 40 points or more. And the only game that they didn't do that in was Clemson. Well, Virginia Tech finds a way to hold the Wake Forest offense down, right? And the defense deserves a lot of credit for how they played in this game, specifically in the second half. But Wake Forest defense has not been very good this year. And Virginia Tech only mustered 16 points. This is a Virginia Tech offense that was one of the highest scoring units in the country, the number two rushing offense in the country going into this football game. And they were unable to run the ball effectively. They were unable to throw the ball. Well, that's alarming to me that you can't figure it out against a wake forest defense that quite honestly, Ricky, Virginia tech matched up well against like, this is a good matchup for Virginia tech. You know, we had our questions about the Virginia tech defense going up against wakes offense and the skill position talent, because even though they don't have Jamie Newman, they don't have Sage Surratt, they don't have Cade Carney they've still found a way to piece it together. They got a nice backfield with Christian Beal Smith. Kenneth Walker has been really good. And Sam Hartman, he didn't blow you away throwing the ball in this game, but he's been pretty good for wake this year too. So like wake had talent on offense to contend with, but 
as far as the matchup was concerned for Virginia Tech, this wasn't a Wake Forest defense where you looked at on paper and said, you know what, they're going to shut down the Virginia Tech rushing attack. And for the most part, they were able to do that. Yeah, and this, again, this is something that we're seeing in multiple, in, in multiple seasons. Every single season that Justin Fuente's been in Blacksburg, his team has come into a game in which they should win and, quite frankly, should win handily. Right. And by handily, I mean 10 or more. They should win by double digits and they get beat. Yeah. Tech Uh, was tech close. I believe as an 11 point favorite, they were 10 and a half in some spots, 11 and others. But when you're a two score, basically a two score favorite um, against a conference opponent, you should win that game. I mean, forget about covering the spread. You should just win. And tech wasn't able to do that. it, It, it's so hard to, to take into account what we saw last season, the second half of last season, how that team rallied around Hendon Hooker, that team rallied around their coaching staff. They had a terrific run to get themselves into position to make the ACC championship game obviously fell short. Um, it's, it, it's tough to, and also the 2016 run where Virginia Tech had a roster that was completely unknown to Justin Fuente and his staff. They come in, they win 10 games, they go to the ACC championship. They come within a couple plays of beating Clemson. Right. Um, it's hard to add those things and take those things into account. Also with the 2019 Duke game, the, the awful season that was 2018, these six on these six losses to unranked teams while ranked. Um, Cause none of it, none of it meshes. None of it makes sense. Right. And there, there's such a wide range of results that we're getting from the coaching staff that it's hard to really peg where exactly they're at. Right. And, and the lack of a signature win doesn't really help either. I mean, you can point to that. That is so true. I'm glad you mentioned that because for instance, the coach at Indiana, right? Tom Allen, baby, Tom Allen, Tom Allen hadn't beaten a top, what a top 10 team his entire career. Right. Yep. And Indiana hadn't, hadn't won a top, hadn't won game against a top 10 team in like, 30 years or something yeah. wild. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, boom, they beat Penn state. Yep. You think that guy's going anywhere anytime soon? <laughs> Hell no. And no. it would be crazy to get rid of him, considering yes. their track record as a football program. Exactly. So when you, when you get that signature, win, it, it, it buys you some time and it buys you some leeway. If you have a game where you don't quite meet your standards or, or, or you fall just short or something doesn't break your way. But we haven't seen that signature win. Um, Which is weird. I, I, I don't even know what – like if, if, you, if you put a gun to my head and, and force me to pick one, I don't know which one I'd pick. Well, there's a, there's a few candidates, right? There's, like 2016 Carolina? Yeah, 2017 uh, West Virginia in the opener, 2018 Florida State in the opener. But then you look at it, and Florida State didn't make a bowl game in 2018, 2017 yeah. – um, West 2018 Virginia. also turned into an, an epic disaster for the it did well. it did so a lot of people forget about that game and then 2017 I think West Virginia only ended up winning like seven or eight games they weren't nearly as good as a lot of people thought they would be with Will Greer going into his senior year as a Heisman candidate the defense just imploded for West Virginia so they were not as good as a lot of people thought but outside I mean maybe a lot of people point to Notre Dame just because of the prestige like going into South Bend but Notre Dame went four and eight in 2016 yeah when, they, when I mean, they, they were they were not good Right. So I have trouble picking one out as well. Um, and, and I'm curious moving forward, 
how much that's going to matter when evaluating Justin Fuente. Cause I think it does make a difference in a lot of fans minds as it should when tech's losing six times as a ranked team to an unranked opponent, then you can't just kind of have a rebuttal and be like, okay, well he's won all these games against ranked teams. Cause he just hasn't. Yeah. And I, I don't know what the program's going to be long-term. I certainly don't want to put a referendum on everything that Justin Fuente has done at Virginia Tech because the team didn't execute against Wake Forest, but it is something to talk about in the moment because like you mentioned, Rick, it's a tr- we'll give him some leniency because it's a weird year, but this is a trend and something that's pretty troubling, especially if Tech does this again at some point again throughout the year, like maybe against Pittsburgh later on, for example. It's, it's another data point. Right. We, we talked about this when Devin Ford decided to go to Penn State about how that was another data point mm-hmm. in terms of Virginia Tech's recruiting struggles. Right. This is another data point in the Justin Fuente era when it comes to underperforming. Yep. Underperforming in games that you should not underperform in. Like nobody's going to fault Justin Fuente for his team going out there in uh, at home against Clemson and losing by double digits. Right. Like n- nobody's gonna nobody's gonna fault nobody's gonna fault him for losing to Notre Dame, um, when they they we probably shouldn't have been ranked that and that going into that game and losing at home. Well, I'll I'll do you one better. How about a few weeks ago against North Carolina? A lot of people weren't happy with the team's performance in that game, but this loss feels much different than the North Carolina loss did because of how Virginia Tech came back in that game, where we yeah, all openly they- acknowledge the defense played poorly, and Tech didn't really you know, tech came out flat offensively and they put in hooker and everything was good in the second half. They played well, but like this loss feels a lot different this past Saturday against the Wake Forest team that tech was supposed to beat versus going into a 50, 50 game against the explosive offense and just kind of laying an egg, not playing well. Exactly. And when you combine all of these things that we've talked about over the last several seasons now, whether it be a, a, a struggling recruiting brand that doesn't seem like it's getting any better um, a, what, what seems at least to me, and, and I'm willing to, to hear alternative arguments on this, but relations with alumni of the program, particularly an alumni that came before Justin Fuente yep. don't seem all that warm. I'm not going to sit here and say that they're horrible, but it doesn't seem like they're very warm. Yep. Um, the inconsistent results on the field, the um, refusal to really try and build that heart-to-heart connection with the fan base, all of the when when you put all those things into the pot, it, it's a stew that tastes like shit. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it is, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. It just. The, the constant underperforming on the field, I think, is the most worrisome uh, because as a coaching, for a good coaching staff, one of the hallmarks of a good coaching staff is that you play up to your, your, your competition and you take care of teams that are below your competition. So even though you're going to lose your fair share of games against teams that are better than you, you at least play competitive, you play tough, you don't, you don't shoot yourself in the foot, and you, you – you give yourself some semblance of a chance to win. And in games against inferior competition, you're supposed to kick their ass. Right. And we're not seeing that enough under this coaching staff. 
there's a clear gap. It's it's election season, so you always hear about enthusiasm <laughs> gap, Rick, right? There's a clear there's a clear lack of enthusiasm around this football program, which yes, I understand with absolutely with, with and it's only further amplified with losses. And the issue that Justin Fuente has put himself in and the staff has put themselves in is that when you only win six games a couple years ago and you have a rash of transfers and you come out last year and have the start that you did to the season with a blowout loss to Duke, it's a very steep hill to climb when you are to get back when you are replacing a 30 year legend in Frank Beamer. It yeah. is a steep hill to climb, and it was not an easy job for Justin Fuente to take in Blacksburg, and he won 19 games in two years, and everybody thought, okay, same old Hokies. They got Bud Foster as the defensive coordinator. The offense looks great. It's not the Scott Leffler, Brian Steinspring offense <laughs> that, you know, everybody talks about the struggles of the tech offense now. I mean, God, it's nothing compared to those days, um, but it, you see the issues here, and and not all of it is Fuente's fault because their expectations kind of levied with this with this program it's almost like no matter what you do you're never going to be Frank Beamer and there's a there's a fraction of the fan base that's 1000% in that boat and I and I see it very consistently no matter what Fuente does it's never good enough you're never going to please those people so you can't worry about it but the 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 folks that are pretty level-headed in the middle they take this program for what it is year over year just kind of sees this roller coaster ride right now and Look, you, you go six and seven two years ago. You go eight and five last year with an up and down start to the year. You lose your last two, though, against UVA, snapping a 15-year win streak. And then you lose in the Belk Bowl to Kentucky, which was a one-trick pony. They were incredible offensively. They were literally they were, playing a running back and a receiver at quarterback. Yeah. I mean, they had nothing left at quarterback because of injuries. And you lose that game. And then this year, Tech gets off to a strong start, but then you fall in the one game that everybody has circled against North Carolina, and then you lay an egg against Wake Forest. And it feels like now we're back to square one. We went from, okay, Tech might be finding something with Hendon Hooker and, you know, the guys that they have returning. This is setting up to be a very good year if Tech is able to stay healthy. And it still can be. Tech can still have a good year. But you're back to square one because now you've lost two out of the last three games, one in a, in a toss-up game that a lot of people expected you to be more competitive in, which let's be honest, it took an offensive explosion in the second half and an onside kick to even get back into that game. But you got to give credit where credit's due. Tech came back in that game um, and made it competitive. But that game was supposed to be a lot more competitive for the duration of the 60 minutes, and it wasn't. And Tech then beats Boston College, didn't look great defensively, forced five turnovers, which really helped last week, and then played probably their best game of the season defensively against Wake Forest, in my opinion, just from the way they tackled and the way they rallied to the football. And offensively, all of a sudden, you can't put it together against a team you should beat. That's a problem. What's what's also problematic, Ricky, and something that we haven't talked about yet that we should probably monitor, Tech is one and two in road games this year. The one win is against Duke. Tech. It took a while for Tech to put Duke away in that game, right? And the other two losses are to North Carolina and now to Wake Forest. Tech goes on the road next Saturday against Louisville. And Louisville goes into South Bend two Saturdays ago, plays a very competitive game with a top five Notre Dame team in South Bend, loses the game 12 to seven, but you thought defensively, maybe they're starting to figure it out. They blow the doors off of Louisville, uh, off of Florida State, excuse me, this past Saturday. 
48 to 16. Florida State can't throw the ball worth anything. They bottled up the run. Louisville looked really good defensively. Malik Cunningham played his most complete game of the year offensively. Louisville could potentially be a huge problem if Virginia Tech's not ready for that team speed on offense for the Cardinals. And we'll get into that later in the week. But going on the road has proven to be a monumental task, as it always is in the ACC, but even more so this year. It's been an issue for Virginia Tech so far. Yeah, and we can probably start to wrap this up, but I want to quickly mention that Tech's chances of – they were already slim – but their chances of getting to the AC championship game are just about done at this point. Right. There, there are too many teams ahead of them with one loss. Uh, Virginia Tech still has to play Clemson. They still have to play Miami. And like you mentioned, this Louisville game is not going to be a, a joke. Um, I know Virginia has, is not winning football games, but that game is a toss up every single time. Now it feels like I'm not going to, I'm not going to count that as a win. Uh, we, we've all seen what, the house of horrors that is Heinz field can do to Virginia tech. Yep. So I'm not going to count Pitt as an easy win. Um, Virginia tech has a ton of toss up games left on their schedule. As a matter of fact, there isn't a single game on the schedule. That's basically a, a guaranteed win that's left. Right. Um, Virginia tech is going to have to play really good football over the remainder of the season just to go like four and two. Right. And, um, and tech should be tech should be favored in, four out of these final six games. I think the only two that we could potentially see them not be favored in is Miami. And then of course, Clemson, <laughs> but um, those yeah, are the two. But it, but it all depends on how they, how they start playing week to week. I mean, Louisville's right. going to be a problem. Liberty is going to be a problem, which I God, if, if Virginia tech loses to Liberty, Virginia tech, Twitter is going to be absolutely uninhabitable for like five days. Yeah. I mentioned this, Ricky, I I tweeted this over the weekend. Um, Virginia tech from a talent standpoint on the roster is a much better team than Liberty. The problem is that Hugh freeze has Liberty very, very well coached. And they have some skill position players that make you kind of open your eyes. Malik Willis, a quarterback is one of them. He's been really good. And Liberty is one of those teams where if Virginia Tech does what they just did against Wake Forest, they're probably going to lose that game. So, look, Virginia Tech should win that game. Nothing's a gimme if you just kind of roll the helmets out there and just try to slog your way through a game. You're probably going to lose. Virginia Tech needs to play much more complete football. they got to get back to kind of looking how they did um, against Boston College for a majority of the game offensively and then how they looked especially in the second half defensively against BC and how they looked this week against Wake Forest. If this same defense shows up the rest of the year and the offense gets back to doing what they were doing prior to the Wake Forest game, you're going to feel pretty good about Tech moving forward. But if if Tech goes out and just kind of rolls the helmets on the field and feels like they're the better team and doesn't take you know their opponent seriously on a week-to-week basis, who knows what we're going to get out of this program. And then I think Justin Fuente could actually be in trouble. I know it's it's not likely that there's going to be a change in a COVID year, but that's something that we talk about the enthusiasm of the fan base. That's something he's going to have a lot of trouble coming back from if he's not able to make sure the team is ready to play throughout the rest of the season. He can't throw the passes. He can't make the tackles in the open field, but he can have guys in position. I think Virginia tech defensively was in good position. A lot of times on Saturday, I think offensively there were opportunities for Virginia tech to make plays and the players simply didn't execute but I think it has to be better moving forward or fans are going to be out on this program in droves. We're not there yet, 
but I think we're heading that direction if Tech finds a way to do what they just did against Wake Forest against another team on the schedule or two. Who's to say? Hugh Freeze is good at two things. Number one, he's good at going to strip clubs. Yes, he is. Number two, he's good at coaching football. Yep. <laughs> so that's going to be a problem. And in no, in no particular order, by the way. <laughs> yes. And you know who else is good at coaching football? Scott Satterfield. He is still on Very. the schedule. <laughs> Very. So like in six days. Yes. So we will hit on on Louisville more in the next pod, but um, this has been pretty unbearable in terms of Hokies Twitter and. I really don't want it to stay like this because it is way too toxic. I mean, so af- after the game on Saturday, I basically told all my followers, have a good night. Go do whatever the hell it is you do on a Saturday and get off of Twitter. Yeah. And that's what I did. That was a good choice. For most of the night because it was a cesspool. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, it is not going to get any better if things do not improve on the field. So I pray to God that we don't have that kind of toxicity this time next week. Um, but Lord knows what the hell is going to happen. Um, is there anything else that, that we need to hit on in this, in this pod? I don't think so. Um, I, I will say that Virginia Tech will have their hands full on Saturday against Louisville. I think Virginia Tech, if they play their best game, is, is better than Louisville playing their best game. But I would say that Louisville, given what they have offensively and the team speed, if Virginia Tech gets down early, this is not one of those games where you can just put together a second half surge and come back. This is very much like North Carolina in the way that Louisville can score points in a hurry and the speed that they have at receiver and at running back. JV on Hawkins is a major problem, Ricky, at running back. And the one thing that Louisville has done well all year is run the football. Um, So that could prove to be potentially problematic for Tech. Um, this this coming Saturday if they're not ready to play defensively. So can't afford a slow start on defense, can't afford another slow start on offense, um, but it'll be really interesting. We'll come back and have a, a full preview for you all later in the week, hopefully with Andrew, Ricky. Yeah, hope so. I'm not, I'm not, we're not really sure actually why he's not here. He just said that he couldn't make it. Yeah, so, so should be is, back. He is, he is okay to our knowledge. <laughs> Nothing yeah. has happened to the host of the Hokie Hangover podcast that we're aware of. So Right. He did he, mention he should be back. Yes, which is encouraging. <laughs> right. Definitely encouraging. Um, that um, way you don't have to listen to me do ad reads anymore. <laughs> All right. Um, go follow Mike at Mike McDaniel VT, right? Is that yep. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, he writes. He does radio appearances. Does all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, does another podcast. Which ACC football is, fans, if you're into that. Yeah, and, and it really, you should be listening anyway, just to keep an idea as to what the heck's going on in the conference. Also, if you're interested in what's going on in the conference, I do an ACC recap just about every week. And it's good. And I, I, I look, I, I, I come at it from like a 10,000-foot view because I will admit that my ACC knowledge is not incredibly deep, but I'm just trying to keep myself apprised as to what's going on, and in turn, it keeps people – aware of what's going on in the conference um so go go read mike's stuff go read my stuff go follow me at ricky the blue listen to andrew's radio show yep on espn blacksburg three to six correct yep Yep. yes sir um go follow him on twitter and leave us a review man tell us what you think of the pod If, if if you think one of us is absolutely loony 
leave that in there too. I don't really care. Just put it in there. Um, my DMs are open. I don't know about yours, Mike. They are. Got to um, be. They they probably may not be open for very long if if the season keeps going the way it's going, but we'll see what <laughs> happens. Um, but no, in all seriousness, just reach out to us. Leave us a, a review. You should give it five stars because I think we have a pretty good thing going here. Um, share it with your buddies. Share it with your friends who are tech fans. Share it with Hokie alum. Um, and we'll uh, we'll see you here in a couple days to go over this Louisville Cardinals team, which I will freely admit I thought a couple weeks ago this was going to be an easy dub um, considering Louisville had lost four straight. And then all of a sudden that, that preseason hype that we talked about with Louisville, it seems like it may have at least a little bit of truth to it. So yeah, we'll have to see how, how this thing goes. And we'll have plenty more for, for you on Louisville in the next pod. Yeah, the arrow squarely pointing up on Louisville at this point with how they've played over the last three weeks, the arrow squarely pointing down on Virginia Tech at this point. Also, in the next pod, we'll go over ACC picks. I am pretty sure that I bombed it yet again. Um, I don't remember did. exactly who I picked, but I have no idea how to pick games at this point. And I think I'm, I'm not even going to blame me anymore. I'm just going to blame the ACC. Yep. It's an absolute uh, It's an absolute nuthouse. Nothing makes any sense. I, I got nothing. Every week, I feel like we learn something new about the ACC, and then the following week, it's literally just lit on fire and thrown away. So um, <laughs> if, if you think you're figuring something out with the ACC, you're probably not. You're just the same boat as week. all of us. Yeah. Wait a week and see what happens. <laughs> this is outside of outside of Clemson, who played their worst game of the year and won by 26. This is a very week-to-week <laughs> conference, okay? So – if, if you if you're feeling bad about how you think the conference is going and your thoughts on things and you come out looking like an idiot, even just like talking to your friends, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, Florida State, they look really good lately. That, that's what I said on the radio and on podcasts. And then they lose by like 30 points. You're just like one of us. So don't you take it too normal. personally. You, you are, are normal. normal. Yeah. So we'll come back later in the week to preview Louisville and what we think the path to victory or defeat will be for the Hokies. So stay tuned for that. Andrew will be back. Ricky, have a good night, man. Enjoy work the rest of this week. We'll talk a little bit later. Um, and I know Andrew will be enjoying whatever the hell he's doing. And oh, and, yeah. <laughs> whatever yeah. the hell he's doing. <laughs> whatever he's doing. We'll all figure that out together. Um, and I'll try to figure figure out and navigate my way through work the rest of the week only to record this later this week and try to figure out what is going to happen in this tech louisville game on saturday so um until next time for ricky LeBlue, i'm mike mcdaniel shout out andrew alex and as always go hokies